Welcome to the MacArthur Memorial Podcast. Located in Norfolk, Virginia, the MacArthur Memorial is a museum and research center dedicated to the life and legacy of General of the Army Douglas MacArthur. The memorial is also dedicated to preserving and presenting the story of the millions of men and women who served with General MacArthur. Each month, the staff of the memorial will use this podcast to explore topics relating to General MacArthur and his times. Today we're going to talk about Brisbane at war and the impact of General MacArthur's presence in Australia during World War II. My name is Amanda Williams, the Education Manager of the MacArthur Memorial, and I'm joined today by Colonel Philip Gould and Colonel John Dwyer of the General Douglas MacArthur Brisbane Memorial Foundation. If you could just give us a little background on Australia um, at the start of World War II, I think that would be helpful. Well, uh, Australia had been at war, of course, since uh, 1939, when Great Britain declared war. The Commonwealth of Australia followed suit uh, almost immediately. And, of course, uh, it uh, was early 1940 when Australian troops deployed to the Middle East. So they had uh, the country had been at war for, obviously, a couple of years um, prior to America's entry to, into the war. And... Uh, of course, uh, when the Japanese um, bombed Pearl Harbor and uh, started their invasion down through Asia, Australians felt very, very vulnerable because the majority of our troops uh, were overseas in the Middle East and uh, they felt uh, with the invasion of Malaysia and through in the fall of Singapore and then uh, the Philippines falling and so on, uh, Australia felt very, very fearful because they felt that the next country that would be invaded would be Australia. And if you could uh, speak a little bit about the home front. Um, I know in the United States there are shortages of gasoline. You have uh, large parts of the population enlisting and going off to war. Um, you have a lot of women and children left behind who are um, doing jobs that traditionally men would be doing. Is the situation in Australia fairly similar, or how might it be different? What you've described, Amanda, is exactly the experience of Australians at war uh, with the rationing, uh, women in the workforce, um, the gasoline uh, being rationed, um, and of course uh, the, um, the, the movement of, of the menfolk uh, out of the country and uh, this, as I explained before, this feeling of, uh, of vulnerability uh, with women and children being left behind. So the experience here um, in the United States was mirrored exactly as it was in Australia. Was this war a popular war um, for the Australian people? I know that for a good part of the war, or at least the, the first couple of years, a lot of Australian troops are in places like North Africa, but the enemy that the Australians face is the Japanese for the most part. And so if you could just maybe speak to that for a moment. Yes, I think uh, the term popular war is, is probably not a right term. When war broke out, Australia's background was uh, was British, and then in uh, World War One and through to World War Two, we started to expand in other European people coming to Australia. But uh, in 1939, because we were a uh, the Commonwealth of Australia, we went straight in with the British to to assist them. 
and uh, were fighting in the Middle East, and I think everybody uh, accepted it as the, that was our allegiance and loyalties were. However, after when in, in 1942, when the Japanese suddenly appeared, uh, and as Philip mentioned, we, all our troops uh, were overseas, the immediate uh, requirement from our Prime Minister was to bring this, our troops home. Now, there was a difference of opinion with him and, uh, and Churchill. I think Churchill looked at it in the way that if the Australians stay in the Middle East and we're moving into Europe, we'll sort that out first and then we'll come down and, and, uh, and help Australia. Um, that didn't sit well with the Prime Minister or the people and we brought our, uh, our divisions home. And th at that time was really the transition from looking towards Europe as our sort of father figure as a small nation um, we transferred across really to the Americans and since uh, 1942 our allegiance from a military point of view and working together on alliances is far more towards the Americans and I think the people once the troops got home whilst we did, still had a lot of Air Force people flying in, uh, in, in bombing business in Europe our allegiance was to just look after Australia and fight the Japanese and our supporters there were the Americans and particularly through uh, General MacArthur who uh, was the commander and so um, the British side dropped out totally from, from that aspect. And that brings me to a, a good point. You gentlemen are from the General Douglas MacArthur Brisbane Memorial Foundation in Australia. Explain what the MacArthur-Brisbane connection is. The, uh, the connection relates to um, General MacArthur's headquarters, which was in a wonderful building in the centre of the, the city of Brisbane. And uh, his office was on the eighth floor of that building. In the uh, late 90s, the building came under redevelopment and... Uh, a group of citizens in the city, particularly uh, the Premier of the State and the State Governor, were concerned that MacArthur's office, which has been preserved until that time, and General Sutherland's office, still remained locked up and preserved, would, would be lost as the, hotel, as the building was being turned into a hotel. So a trust was formed, which is now the foundation, to preserve the history of uh, General MacArthur and to present the history of Brisbane at war for the people of Brisbane and particularly to educate the children uh, in the schools about what occurred during those critical periods uh, from 1942 through to 1944 when uh, we were under direct threat from the Japanese. A very critical time for Australia and uh, 1998 the trust was formed and uh, the preservation was the restoration of the offices and the building of a museum in, in the, uh, on the floor surrounding the offices. So it's now on the eighth floor of the MacArthur Chambers, as they're known. Uh, it's the MacArthur Museum, Brisbane, and which includes his office. And uh, it's set up for the objectives under the foundation, which is uh, very similar to the objectives here, I think, that you have with your memorial. Can you describe for me MacArthur's reception by the Australians and particularly his reception in Brisbane? 
Yes, well, as I said before, the, uh, the morale uh, in Australia was uh, quite low. Um, and as I said, also, people were very, very fearful. So the arrival of MacArthur in Australia, we arrived in the little town of Darwin, right in the very north of Australia, then he, uh, when he came from the Philippines. He travelled down to Melbourne uh, by train, and uh, which is some distance, of course, the full length of Australia, and um, initially established his headquarters in Melbourne for, for, for some months. It, he then decided that he couldn't, successfully prosecute the war from Melbourne. It was just, he felt it was too far away, uh, so he decided to relocate to Brisbane. And he arrived in Brisbane, in fact, uh, 70 years ago this year. On the 21st of July, uh, 1942, he actually stepped off the train into South Brisbane Station. Now, there was quite a profound effect when he arrived, because not only did he arrive, but we saw the influx of thousands and thousands of American troops so, in fact, the population of Brisbane doubled, or more than doubled, with the influx of American troops. So there was a very physical and tangible uh, presence which had the effect, immediate effect, of raising the morale of not only people throughout Australia, but of throughout, uh, uh, but certainly in Brisbane, because they could see uh, thousands of, British, of American troops arriving. Um, MacArthur was there. His reputation was such that they felt that immediately that everything would be would be fine and that uh, something would be done and Australia would uh, would be saved. And of course, uh, at that time, uh, the little town of Darwin, right at the very north of Australia, was under attack by the Japanese. And in fact, there were some 120 odd uh, air raids over a period of two years. Um, and of course, again, uh, once MacArthur arrived and the American uh, Air Force. Uh, started to, the air, aircraft started to come in, aircraft being assembled, um, military camps spread all over Queensland. Um, the, the, the effect was quite profound in raising morale. I, I might add in there myself, from MacArthur's personal side, uh, he, he was regarded almost as the saviour in, in the initial time. He was housed in one of the modern hotels at that time in, in Brisbane with Mrs MacArthur and his son. And uh, MacArthur was one for theatre, if I should use the term. And uh, he would leave his hotel at a set hour in the morning uh, in the big motor car and drive down the street to the MacArthur Chambers. Uh, and uh, crowds would gather both at the hotel and outside the uh, the chambers when he would alight and cheer him and uh, this theatre went on uh, for a couple of years. Everyone just, uh, you know, revered him, to be honest. Can you tell us anything about the reception of Jean MacArthur, the general's wife? I know that uh, when she got to Australia, I know she obviously had to do a little bit of shopping because they left everything behind and on Corregidor in the Philippines when they escaped. So I know she was out and about a little bit, but could you describe her reception and, and some things you might know about her time in Brisbane? Yes, the little bit that uh, I can recall from people of the time, she was a, uh, regarded as a, as, a, as a lovely lady with, uh, with a bright young son and was accepted into the uh, Australian and, and particularly the Brisbane community extremely well. She. Uh, I gather had a uh, a lovely personality where she would interact with um, the the women of Brisbane, 
particularly visiting those who are doing it a bit hard, visiting some schools. I know her son went to a small primary school not far from where they were housed. Visiting dignitaries uh, she would get involved with, uh, she would get involved with the hospitals and uh, uh, was regarded as you know, quite an elegant lady in the city. Uh, was just rather a special person. Much has been written on the relationship between General Eisenhower and Prime Minister Churchill in England, but not much has been written on MacArthur and Curtin, or at least not what I'm familiar with. Can you describe the relationship between General MacArthur and Prime Minister Curtin in Australia? Yes, in fact, uh, they were extremely close. Prime Minister Curtin had a big task on his hand, and uh, he worked very closely with General MacArthur and vice versa. What I've read, the pictures I've seen, uh, the discussions in, in documents, was that they were uh, were very close, that uh, the Prime Minister regarded him as uh, a fine soldier and uh, really left him to get on with the job. They were separated by, uh, you know, a thousand-odd kilometres uh, with uh, the Prime Minister down in Canberra in the southern part of the country and uh, and the General in his headquarters up in Brisbane with the semi-tropical area. But uh, no, it was a great relationship. And also with the uh, Prime Minister's staff. The Prime Minister didn't interfere in uh, in the military running of, of the campaigns in New Guinea. He, uh, he trusted the General and he trusted his Australian Generals as well. You mentioned... Uh about Eisenhower's relationship with Churchill, which of course was also extremely close, but Churchill was very, very prone to interfering uh, in his generals and his commanders' uh, affairs. Um, so, as John said, the relationship was a more personal one between Curtin and uh, MacArthur, and a much, I would suspect, a much more friendly one. Yeah, well, Churchill had a military background, which. Yeah. Uh, uh, Mr. Curtin didn't, and uh, and I think that might have prompted Churchill to to get involved uh, a, a bit a bit more. Knowing what you know about General MacArthur, do you think that he would have had uh, a tougher time working with a prime minister more like Churchill? Yeah, I, I think he, there's no question that he would have. MacArthur was uh, was a flamboyant uh, person, um, and I think uh, given the history of Churchill uh, and what he had, uh, the difficulties he had with, with many of his generals, I think uh, MacArthur and Churchill would have, uh, would have had serious problems getting on. Yeah, I'd, I'd, my, my thoughts would be the same. I think they would clash too much. They were mm. two flamboyant characters in their own way, mm. whereas uh, our Prime Minister Curtin was a very uh, quiet, um, hard-working chap, a different, different fellow altogether. How would you describe MacArthur's legacy in Australia today? When MacArthur and, of course, the troops arrived, one of the things the Americans were looking for was Coca-Cola, and uh, at that time Australia had no Coca-Cola whatsoever. So the first Coca-Cola plant established uh, in Australia was in Brisbane to uh, cater for the needs of, um, of the American servicemen. One of the other impacts that uh, MacArthur had, of course, was the... Um, probably the reorganisation of the transportation system, through, particularly through Queensland, but also through Australia. Um, 
the, the history of Australian rail transport was a, was a, a combination of uh, uh, different gauges and uh, a whole lot of petty state um, bureaucracies involved. Whereas, uh, although it wasn't immediately streamlined, we know that MacArthur had a, uh, and his staff had a uh, very, very good effect on streamlining transport, particularly uh, rail transport, um, to move the thousands and thousands of troops that had to be moved. So there are just uh, two things that I can think of off the top of my head where MacArthur had a terrific uh, impact in Australia. Yes, the, the Coca-Cola one is, uh, still exists. This year we had the 70th anniversary of General MacArthur's arrival in Brisbane and uh, the Foundation and our museum had a weekend of activities. Um, and uh, as a lead-up to uh, uh, those functions and... Uh, we, we had the uh, Coca-Cola have an annual race meeting. Racing is a big, uh, is a big sport in Australia. And, uh, horse they, racing. This is uh, horse racing. Um, and uh, we had the MacArthur Cup as one of the feature races. Um, so the MacArthur Coca-Cola Australian link is still there. Not so much again MacArthur, but the impact of American servicemen uh, in in Australia and particularly in Brisbane was the uh, the music and the dancing and of course the music we all recognise the tunes from World War Two but uh, it was a little more than that in Brisbane um, so that was another social impact that uh, the influx of those thousands and thousands of American troops uh, had on the local population and of course the other thing is the war brides um, there were many Australian girls. Uh, married American servicemen and uh, at the end of the war uh, came uh, by ship back to America and uh, settled here here in America. Um, so there was that uh, aspect of it as well. So the impact of MacArthur's time in Brisbane radiated far beyond just MacArthur as a man. I mean, it, it seemed to really have touched Australia as a whole. Well, thank you, Colonel Gould and Colonel Dwyer, for, for sitting down and talking with us today. If people are interested in finding out more about the MacArthur Brisbane Memorial Foundation, what's the best way to do that? The best way is to go on our website. It's a, a comprehensive website. It's kept up to date. mmb.org.au. They will learn a lot about it, and there are a lot of links to uh, other military and um, World War II issues on that website. More importantly, come and visit us. Well, thank you again for joining us. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please feel free to contact Amanda Williams at amanda.williams at norfolk.gov.